Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. Good morning. Uh, Things are hard and heavy sometimes, but as we'll see today, our God is faithful. He's worthy of us placing our faith or trust in Him. When I was about 10 or 11 years old, I was playing with a friend in our neighborhood, and we were throwing darts out in his front lawn. His parents had given him this dart board, but I think they didn't want him throwing the darts in the house, making holes in the walls and things like that. So... My friend had taken the dartboard and he had attached it to a big cardboard sheet and then he took it outside and leaned it against one of the big shrubs toward the front of their property. And so we were taking turns throwing darts and if we missed the dartboard, the dart would go somewhere on the the cardboard. Uh, But at a certain point as we were taking turns throwing darts, it was my turn and I missed I missed the dartboard, I missed the cardboard, the uh, dart went above it all, and at that exact moment, a head popped up from behind the dartboard. My friend's brother had been hiding behind there. We didn't know that. He had snuck behind the shrub, he was behind the cardboard. All of a sudden, his head came up at just the wrong time, and the dart hit him, and it looked like it hit him right in the eye. And all of a sudden, he ran into the house screaming with the dart hanging there. And the next several moments were really, really scary for me. Was he blind? Was I going to get in trouble? What was going to happen here? I just stood there for a little bit. I didn't even want to go into the house for a little bit. But I finally did and found out that he was actually okay. The dart had had literally stuck right in the corner there where that little, I don't know what that little ball is next to the eyeball. It was right there, and it hadn't hurt his eye that much. He was fine. He wasn't going to lose his sight, and I was, so, I was so thankful, and his mom was so gracious to me. She said, you know, this wasn't your fault. I told him to stay away from you guys. I told him, don't go anywhere near that dartboard, but he did not listen, and that's what happens when you don't listen. I don't think my parents ever heard about that, and that was kind of the end of the incident, but over the years, the thought has popped into my mind, what would have happened if the story had turned out differently? What would have happened if it had been just a fraction, just a fraction of an inch, a little bit more to the left, And suddenly, I would have blinded this young kid. For the rest of his life, he would be blind, and it would be my fault. I mean, in a sense, it wasn't my fault. My my greatest fault here was being lousy at darts. But to realize that I had blinded a friend. It would have been just a different story entirely. I don't know how I would have faced that. But I'm convinced to this day that God intervened in that situation. That God protected the boy and he protected me, protected both of us to keep greater harm from happening. And I think most of us can think of examples in our lives where God came through for us 
I mean, we can't prove it, but we would say that God intervened in that situation. God took care of me. God was faithful. I think of an example walking at uh, Cooper's Rock, and I somehow managed to step right over a copperhead without stepping on it. I don't know how it happened. I think that would have been it, though, for me, even though I know copperheads, you know, they're not as deadly as some. I was two miles from civilization and in a valley. I was going to have to walk two miles to just see a person. I think God saved me that day. I think at times where I could have been in an accident and I came out with no problems at all, not even a scratch, literally, no scratches even, but it could have really ended poorly for me. I think of the night in which I was mugged in Columbus, Ohio and stabbed, and that could have been the end of my life. It, it very easily could have ended differently. Even the judge at the trial said that. I know this story could have ended differently, but I think God was there with me. And most of us can think of examples in our lives where we just feel like God intervened for us and he took care of us and he was there when we needed him. But I think at the same time, there are many situations we face where we wonder, where are you, God? And we wonder whether God is faithful. Where were you, God, in this situation? You know, some examples, maybe we pray about something and we're sure that God's going to give us the answer we're looking for, but it doesn't happen. We go through something that's really tough, that's really difficult. We say, God, where are you? You know, a lot of the people in the Bible face things like that. Read the Psalms. Lord, I cried out to you. You know, some of the psalmists write things like the wicked, they prosper, but I, I went through all of this. You know, where were you when I was going through this difficulty? Where is God when it seems like things are under control or out of control? Where is God in a world where COVID isn't going away and on and on it goes? But what I want us to understand today is despite how it may seem, God is faithful. And it's an incredibly important quality about God because faithfulness has to do with trust. You know, if, if you can't trust someone, if you can't trust God, you're not going to have a close relationship with them. That, that's the bottom line. Can we trust God? Can we trust God when things don't turn out the way we were hoping they would? Do, you, do we still trust God? You know, like Job who said in the Old Testament, though he slay me, yet I'll praise him. You know, he really trusted God's faithfulness. My takeaway today, though, is this, that we can place our faith in God because he alone is completely faithful. Or another way to put this is we can put our trust completely in him because he alone is trustworthy. He's worthy of our trust. Of course, faith and faithfulness go hand in hand because when you know that someone is faithful, then you can trust them. And that's why this is important for us to understand that this is the way our God is. Some of the words that come to my mind when I think of um, faithfulness, one of them would be reliability or dependability, you know, whether you can rely on somebody, you know. If you say somebody's faithful to, to do what they said they do, you know, you trust them. They're reliable, they're dependable, they show up on time when you expect them. Or faithfulness has to do with certainty or predictability many times. You just know their character because they're faithful. I think of steadfastness. I think of... Loyalty, you know, if someone's faithful to another person, you say, well, they're loyal to that, that person, I think a truth. I really need to know that when someone says something, it's true, that, that, it's, that I can put my faith in their word, that they're faithful in that sense. And so it's a very important attribute. Our God is worthy 
of our faith because he alone is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I've mentioned before that our faith is only as good as the object in which it's placed. Every time I think that thought, I think of when I was in Honduras the first time. I was on a bus and I was driving some distance and we came across a place where the bridge that had been on the highway had completely washed away and there was a crevice there that went down a long ways, at least 100 feet, just a big gaping hole. We came across it with the bus, but they had put some boards across this crevice, boards. I mean, there were thick boards. I don't know that I've ever seen thicker boards, but they're boards. I'm thinking, this is the bus. Are you kidding? I mean, I sat there looking out thinking, we're not going across those boards, are we? Yes, we were. And there were a host of people out there saying, come on, inch up, you know, waited till one tire got on and then the other one. And we crawled across there, which I would have wanted to zip across maybe, but, but it was dependable. My faith was not misplaced. And your view of God will determine whether or not you put your trust in him. And I'm saying we can place our faith in God because he's completely faithful. But today I want to look at four ways in which he's faithful. And there are many more. But I want to suggest, first of all, that because God is faithful, we can trust him to forgive our sins. I talk about this idea a fair amount because I think we struggle with believing that we're really forgiven for the things we do wrong. We don't believe when God says, I will remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. That through the blood of Jesus Christ that our debt has been completely paid in full. We have trouble, I think, believing that. And yet this is the promise God makes to us. The writer of Hebrews put it this way in Hebrews 10, 16, and 17, or at least he addressed this subject. He said, this is the covenant, and this is God's words here, this is the covenant or agreement or promise I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. He adds, I will never again remember their sins or their lawless acts. Never again will I hold their sins against them. This is talking about us. When it was written, it was prophecy. But when you put your faith in Christ, the spirit of Christ comes into your life and he writes on on your heart. That's what he's talking about here. And it's a covenant that God has made with us. It's the covenant that Jesus talked about on the night he was betrayed as he held up the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. In the Old Testament, this covenant with God was such a big deal, this promise with God. It represented a a, a relationship, enduring relationship God would have with Israel. I will be your God. You will be my people. That was the promise God made. It wasn't a covenant. It was an agreement. And Jesus was saying, this is the agreement I am making through my blood, that you can enter into a relationship with your creator that will endure, where God will not hold your sins against you. And God emphasized, I think, this at the crucifixion. He, he illustrated it in a really pretty profound way. Most of you are aware of the fact that in the Old Testament, the temple had... Some, an outer, then an inner, and then a really inner, inner spot, the Holy of Holies. It was this holy place where only one person could go into this Holy of Holies place, and they could only go one day a year on the Day of Atonement. So only the high priest could go, 
It was only one day a year. And if you went, someone else went in there, they would be either put to death or God would probably strike them dead because the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was and God was there, his very presence. And the priest, before he could even go in there, had to wash himself with water, which you'll read, we'll read this in a second about the water because it's important. He had to be cleansed. And then he also had to sacrifice some animals for his own sins. There had to be the death. And so it's a picture, of course, of Christ dying for our sins or whatever. But he had to sacrifice these animals. And then he'd go into the presence of God. And no one else could do it. And it was exclusive. One person getting to walk right into the presence of the Holy One. But in Hebrews, we read these words. In Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 23. Therefore, brothers, and this is a reference to brothers and sisters, Sisters, it should be brethren. Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, that's a reference to the Holy of Holies, through the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, he is open for us through the curtain that is his flesh. Let me stop for a moment, but many of you know that the Holy of Holies was surrounded by this curtain. And you had to go through, pass through the curtain. And so this is saying that Jesus Christ's own body being torn, in a sense, on the cross is what opened the way for us to enter the Holy of Holies. It goes on to say, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, and that's Jesus, who's speaking on our behalf and defending us. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's the point, full confidence. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. There's this sprinkling idea, an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. It's picturing you being like that high priest, going into the presence of the Holy One, the God of Israel, having been cleansed. Verse 23, he concludes, therefore, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Don't waver about this. Now, I don't know if you see what he's alluding to here, but he's alluding to an event that took place the day that Jesus was crucified. You remember that the, the, the temple curtain was torn in half from top to bottom, which is very significant. It was torn that way because there was an earthquake that day, and if the earthquake were the cause of the tear, it would have torn from the bottom. You know, the curtain would be posted in the ground, and the ground would separate, and it would rip the curtain, perhaps. But the Gospels indicate, no, this curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. Also significant about this particular curtain is it was 30 feet tall. It was four inches thick. You couldn't rip it. There'd be no way that thing could tear. It'd be impossible to tear it. I mean, just think about that for a minute. I, when, Sometimes I'll use an old um, T-shirt to wash my car or wax it. You know, they, they had really good, great for doing that. And I have trouble ripping it. <laughs> One little T-shirt. Four inches, woven material. It was meant to keep people out. God tore it down the middle. It was the blood of Jesus Christ. It was opening access once and for all. It wasn't just lifted to the side so you could walk in and then walk out and close it again. It was torn so that people could now enter boldly into the presence of God. That's what this is about. And it's because our sins have been wiped away through the blood of Christ. 
And so in 1 John, and of course this means you have to put your trust in him. That's, that's where we receive this. We acknowledge our sin. We reach out to Jesus who died in our place. But 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I like what Wolvard says about this, Dr. Wolvard. He was from Dallas Theological Seminary. He said, it is comforting to learn that the forgiveness which is promised here is both absolutely assured because God is faithful and is also in no way contrary to his holiness. He is just. It's the just thing to do, and it's just because Jesus paid the price for us. So because God is faithful, we can trust him to forgive our sins, and there are lots of verses about it. And just stick with John 3.16. Whoever believes in him will not perish. He'll have eternal life, period. But we don't trust God. So because he's faithful, we can trust him to forgive our sins. Second, we can trust him to support us in our struggle with trials and temptations. Let me talk about temptation for a moment. First, often when we're tempted to sin, we think, well, there's nothing I can do to stop it. I mean, we're so used to giving into it that we think, well, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm just powerless against temptation. You're not. God gives you everything you need to say no to temptation. Not one of us has an excuse. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we read, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. That's our theme here. You can trust him. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to bear it. God is going to be faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond your able. Which he'll provide this escape somehow. Now, it's important to understand something about the word temptation in this verse. When it says no temptation has overtaken you, but what's common to everybody, the Greek word for temptation can be translated either trial, in other words, like a, a painful tribulation of some kind, or temptation, as in a solicitation to do evil. It's the same Greek word. The context is what determines whether or not a, a verse is talking about temptation that we face, a solicitation to do wrong, or whether you're talking about some trial you're facing. In this verse, it's both. Whether it's a temptation that you are facing or a trial, a difficulty that you're facing, both are kind of a test. And God says, I won't give you more than you can handle. I mean, I don't know who said this, but they said something to the effect that when God allows you to be in the furnace, he keeps his hand on the thermostat. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you're able, tested beyond what you're able, but then it also says he, he'll give you a way of escape. And so here's where we, we ask the question, where's my escape here? When I'm tempted, what's the escape? How do I get out of this? What is God, what is God leading me to get out of this thing? I have never gone to one of those rooms, those escape rooms, you know. It sounds like a lot of fun. I'd be curious those of you that have been to those before, but a group of people will go into one of these escape rooms, the door will be locked, and then you, you solve clues, puzzles, and things like that. And I understand they get worse as time goes on or harder, but I don't know if that's true or not, but anyway, you work together as a team and you try to solve it. But there is indeed a way out. There's always a way out. And God is saying there's a way out. Don't, don't give up. If it's a trial, don't give in to despair. If it's a temptation, don't give in to it. 
but look for the way out. Like if it's a temptation, an example of a way out would be like Jesus when he was tempted, quoting scripture. I think the Holy Spirit brought to mind the verses he needed to confront the devil. I think the devil got tired of hearing all the Bible verses. It says he left them for another day. But sometimes it's that. Sometimes the, the, the way out could be like the armor of God that God gives us in Ephesians chapter 6. It could be that. Or, or sometimes when you're tempted to sin in some area, God brings a distraction or something. That's maybe it. You have in your mind to do something you know God doesn't want you to do, and then the phone rings. That could be your way out. To say, you know, it's, it rings, you say, yeah, this is a reminder. I, I don't want to do this. Whatever it is, God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. He won't let you be tested beyond what you're able. He'll give you the way out. He'll help you through it. Two other references that make this point. First Peter 4.19. So those who suffer according to God's will should while doing what is good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. Whatever you're facing, however you're suffering, whether temptation or trial, entrust yourself to your creator. I'm yours because he's faithful. Second Thess Thessalonians 3.3, 3, but the Lord is faithful. He'll strengthen and guard you from the evil one. And this is talking about, I think, a reference to the devil. But he also can guard us from evil, like the Lord's Prayer talks about us. Deliver us from evil. And he will come to our aid if we'll just think to turn to him. Of course, oftentimes we don't. But he's faithful. He says, I'll be there if you need me. We can trust him to forgive our sins. We can trust him to support us in our struggle with trials and temptations. Third, we can trust him with our physical needs. Jesus talked a lot about this, and the whole Bible talks a lot about this, that our God will take care of our needs. But it's, it's hard to believe that. Jesus talked about the fact, open your eyes and see how God's provided for all of creation, which I'll read these verses in just a second. But our Heavenly Father, if you know Christ, God is your Heavenly Father, and he, he cares for you. What father, knowing the child's needs, is going to say, no, I'm not going to provide you with your food? If you're able to, you do it, of course, and our God will as well. And so we're encouraged to come to God about these things, like the Lord's Prayer again. You know, give us this day our daily bread. But I love what Jesus said about this in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. He said, this is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith, which is what the issue is. We don't believe God will be faithful, so we don't have faith. So, Here's the conclusion. Don't worry, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For idolaters eagerly seek those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. No, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be provided for you. He will take care of you. Now, over the years, sometimes I have worried about his provision. I think all of us have, but I, I've had this 
I've had a fair number of the years where I didn't trust God would take care of this or that, whether it was my own personal finances or the churches or whatever, but there are other times where I've seen God work in remarkable ways, and I've learned over the years, yes, I guess he will provide. I'm here today. He's taking care of me. When I was preparing this, I was reminded of something that happened in 1982, which was before some of you were born. 1982, I was living in Columbus, Ohio, and the pastors of the church where I was living asked if I'd be willing to co-lead a team of eight people up to Bowling Green, Ohio, to start a new church up there near the campus of Bowling Green State University. And we were just going to go up for the summer and maybe stay, maybe come back. But there were a group of eight of us, and they wondered if all of us would be willing to just move up there for the summer. And I and another guy were going to be co-leading this team. Be the first time I was doing something like this. Well, there's a, a little bit of a problem with this because I didn't have the money for it. We were going to have to continue paying our rent back in Columbus, but we needed to get two places to stay in in Bowling Green. One for the guys and one for the girls. There were four and four. And, and how were we going to get money for food if we didn't work during the summer to earn money? And the, and the church said, we can't help you. So it looked like a, just a no deal. You know, how do you pay two rents? And then, and if we're built, starting a church, we're not going to be working, so we're not going to be earning money. How do you eat? How do, how do you do it all? We went up about two weeks or three weeks before we were going to move up there to scout out the land. And the eight of us paired up in twos, decided to look for free housing. We decided we would ask God to give us two houses where we wouldn't have to pay any money for them and live up there for the summer. And so we, we paired up and began looking for places. We went on uh, to look in the newspaper at the time. You know, you couldn't go online back then. Uh, we made phone calls. We did everything we could. And 6 o'clock that evening, it looked like it, it was nothing. We were getting ready to pack up our cars and go back home because we couldn't even afford to stay in a hotel. And then the phone rang right before we were getting ready to leave. Some guy that wasn't even a, a Christian, wasn't religious in any way heard about our need or someone had called him and he said, well, I've got two houses and you can stay in them for the summer if you'll paint the smaller of the two. I'll provide all the paint, all the materials. The smaller of the two was small. It was a little block of a house, all white. You'd hardly needed a ladder. I mean, you could paint the whole thing. Take us a few days to do the thing. He said, I'll give you both houses for the whole summer if you'll do that for me. He said, now you'll still have to pay utilities. But we said, well, that's it. We'll do it. We'll stay it. So we moved up there, but we didn't have money for food. What do you do about that? And then we heard about a person who knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, something like that. I don't know even who it was, but they said that they had a soybean field up in Bowling Green, Ohio, that needed us to weed the thing. And they'd give us so much per row. So we said, well, sure, we'll do that. Or, earn some money, it was like $5 a row and pull all the weeds. And when we started that, I thought this was a mistake. They were big weeds. I have a picture of me pulling one out at six feet tall. It's like, wow. But after day one, I don't know what happened. All the weeds were coming out like this. I think it's because maybe we started on the edge or something where it wasn't tilled as much or something. All the weeds were coming out. Three days, four days. We painted the house in maybe four days. We pulled all the weeds in maybe three days and we earned enough money to pay for all of our expenses with leftover for the entire summer for eight people. 
It was just remarkable. And then I got a call saying, would you please come back to Columbus because we prefer help out here, whatever. And I ended up moving back. But to this day, there's a church in, in Ohio called H2O. I mean, Bowling Green, here's their logo. It's a church of college students, maybe 350 or so college students. I don't know what it's at, but it was started in this way. And three years after that, with $500 in my pocket and all of my earthly possessions in the back of a pickup truck, I moved to Morgantown, not knowing anybody, not having a job or anything, to start a church called Chestnut Ridge Church. I wouldn't have done it except that it had worked before. God had done it before. I just think that God does things in our lives and, and if we could learn to trust him. I, I mean, he, he, he's just quite remarkable to see him do amazing things like this. And he wants to take care of our needs. Last point I want to make here today is that we can trust him to be faithful in every situation. And this is really just to, to, to sweep up all the other ways in which our God is faithful. And I want to encourage you to think of some ways in which God has been faithful. But let me read what David said about this in Psalm 36, 5 to 10. He said, Lord, your faithful love reaches to heaven. Your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the highest mountains your judgments like the deepest sea. Lord, you preserve man and beast. God, your faithful love is so valuable that people take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They're filled with the, from the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing stream, for with you is life's fountain. In your light, we see light. Spread your faithful love over those who know you and your righteousness over the upright in heart. Our God's righteousness extends to the very heavens. So let me ask you today, where do you need God's faithfulness in your life? And have you acknowledged how faithful God has been? That'd be a great thing to just pull away sometime and acknowledge all the ways in which God has been faithful. But I encourage you to apply one of these things here today. For some of you, I think it's trusting God. We can trust God to forgive our sins. And I encourage you to grab a hold of the promises of God, live in the assurance that we have that we're right with God through faith in Christ. Some of you need to turn to him in the midst of your trial and circumstance. Maybe just start to develop the habit of asking the question, where's the escape? What's the way that you're providing for me to get through this thing? Because he'll help us. We can trust him with our physical needs. And the simple point here is stop worrying. That's what Jesus said, don't worry. It's hard to do, I get it. But again, as we focus on his faithfulness, it'll help us. And then finally, we can trust him to be faithful in every situation and maybe reflect on those situations in which he's been faithful in your own life and acknowledge that. Because I think that'll help you have faith in the future. Let's close in prayer. Father, you have been good. You've been faithful. We are here today because of your faithfulness and your goodness. Thank you for your faithful promises. Give us the grace, O oh Lord, to see you for who you are, someone who's worthy of our complete trust and faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.